This is Fragmented Reality, a digital bulletin podcast designed to bust the buzzwords that dominate enterprise technology. My name is Ben Mouncer, and for this episode I take my clutch of eggs, each containing an industry buzzword, to Lee Fevier, Principal Solution Architect for Intelligent Automation at BT. So Lee, do you want to crack open your first egg? Okie dokie. Blue one at the top there. Start for the blue. What do we have now? We have robotics. Robotics, okay. So I think with robotics, it's obviously a term that's been around. People associate robots. It's a term that's been around for quite a a while. What is your definition of robotics today? So, well, that's a good one to come out first, given my uh, my role is um, solution architect for intelligent automation, which is all about robotics. So to me, um, it's about software robots, and it's about trying to see how we can uh, use software to um, to automate um, manual repetitive activities that people do to, to enable those people to focus on high value work um, so the software robotics in tech you've got hardware robots as well you've got you know machines in supply chains and warehouses and all sorts so uh, there's, there's lots of meanings I don't know if there's one you uh, want to focus no, on no no I think to be honest I think the meaning to the outside world of robotics is probably they don't necessarily associate it straight away with robotic process automation which is what yep. you're talking about but obviously RPA um, software robots yep. are incredibly um, important now aren't they in terms of the, the business process side of things and how companies are able to make savings and um, better or so it, I just want you to give me a bit of uh, insight into how prevalent RPA is now in yeah well it's certainly a, a hugely growing industry um, within BT where we're three years uh, into our automation journey using RPA yeah. um, and seeing huge benefits already um, and as I say it's very much about trying to it, it helps on every angle okay so if we can if we can get the the repetitive tasks that people are doing today and, and automate those get robots to do them it's all data driven as long as it's simple repetitive um, data driven etc we can, we can get a robot to do it um, then the people, it's not about trying to then free those people up and, and reduce headcount. It's about saying, well, now those people have got more time in their day where they can focus on value-added work, um, dealing with their customers, doing the things that they don't get around to doing because they're managing these these you know repetitive processes all the time. So the employee benefits because they they have a more interesting job. It obviously creates jobs as well because just just developing and maintaining the robots is in itself um, a a job so of course it creates jobs but the people whose jobs it's automating it just changes them so hopefully their experience is better because they will be doing more interesting things consequently the customer experience improves because the repetitive stuff is being done behind the scenes which leaves the people to deal with the real problems that the customer is facing and therefore they'll get dealt with quickly um, and more efficiently so so basically everybody wins if, if we do it well. Do you think that that message that humans and software robots can coexist? Do you think that's um, being distributed enough? Because obviously people might have a negative sort of mindset on this. For sure, and, and no, I don't think it is. There's definitely a fear whenever anyone mentions robotics or RPA or whatever, and, and the immediate assumption is people are trying to automate my job away, which is why I, I was at pains to, to say that's that's what that's certainly not what we're doing, and, and it's not what I really see industry doing. There are. Um, 
companies that do try and use it as an efficiency driver. Um, even within BT, when we talk about our subcontract work, you know, we can try and automate certain things to enable us to bring that work back into BT. So it's a cost saving, um, but it's certainly in a way that's more beneficial to the to the full-time employees that work for BT because we're actually bringing work in. We're not pushing it all out to the robots. Um, but but for sure, there are negative reactions but people quickly have an allergic reaction and, and it's it's like any change program you know people have to be brought on the journey they have to be t told why not to be afraid and then more importantly they have to be shown we have to demonstrate that we you know we are not about trying to reduce headcount we're, we're about trying to improve employee and customer experience and and just doing a better job U using the human brain for what it's good at and using you know using software for what it's good at and, and ultimately the two need to work together yep. so there will you know these robotic processes won't sit in isolation there will still be humans at either end of them um, having to deal with exceptions having to deal with the complexities so getting you know the digital workforce and the human workforce to kind of coexist and work together that's probably the next big challenge we've, we've got we're at a point now where we can automate processes and they largely stand alone and we need to get to that that next step which is really the people and the robots working together, activities being passed seamlessly between them. You know, everybody's got a robot that they talk to in the morning and say, you know, what, what did you do last night? How have you got on with this activity? They hand it over and then they pick up the exceptions. That, that kind, excuse me, that kind of model. Um, and yeah, that's, that's probably next step. That's not quite where we're at yet. Okay, so from your own experience, that's a large organisation mm -hmm. like BT. How, how, what challenges do you face in integrating these kind of technologies? And also, you know, looking forward, how essential do you think they'll be to the function of this, you know, the whole organisation? Yeah. So integrating RPA is is very easy by its, in a way, that's its challenge. Um, so we can deploy RPA very quickly. It, it's designed to sit across the user interface so there's not lots of complicated APIs um, required to be you know interfaces to be coded we literally more often than not use the user interface that a human would use they just log on they um, the robot will then be subject to all of the same validation criteria that a person would so all of that logic is built into the user interface um, so standing up and, and training if you like a, a robot to be able to, 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 to do the human activity um, is the easy part Culture change is the the culture change is the hard part, and and also culture change for the for the people in the organisation. Again, going back to that fear aspect, but also knowing the right things to automate and the right things not to. So because it's easy, and because it's quick, and because it's cheap, it doesn't always necessarily mean it's the right thing to do. And if you are on the back of some big systems transformation, and you know you need to you need to revamp all of your systems and, and you know rip, rip them all out and put new ones in. Um, at that point, if, if that's happening next week, you know, putting robotics over the top of your current legacy systems is probably not the best idea because then you've, you're, you're building a technical debt that you're going to have to then deal with later when, when the, all the systems change. However, if you've got some strategic systems um, transformation coming up soon, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't do robotics either. You just have to be mindful of it and say, is it, will, will it pay back? in terms of you know the hours saved and the benefit that it will bring to the to the organization will it pay back in time before this other transformation kicks in and if it does then absolutely you know get on with it and, and, and get that benefit but just be aware that there's going to be rework needed later on and, and i think that's that's the key um that though it, it's kind of the the, the system architects, so to speak, that will then they, they push quite hard against robotics for all of those same reasons. So finding that balance and saying what should we automate and when, um, 
and yeah I, I think at that point if, as long as you go in eyes open and you know that you're going to have to change it in the future it's the right thing to do excellent definitely a trend to keep an eye on in the future should we crack on yeah crack open another egg go for a yellow one this time yellow one this time uh, yeah. Customer centricity. Okay, customer centricity is something that we, we hear a lot about. How how prevalent do you think customer centricity is in the strategies of um, so either the business that you're involved in here at BT or other businesses? Because it yeah. seems to be a really um, strong theme at the moment. I mean, cu- customer centricity being put the customer at the heart of everything you do, if I can just paraphrase it, and, and that is central to everything that we certainly strive to do in BT. So, you know, an organisation doesn't exist for its, you know, for its own benefit. We have customers and understanding that, you know, our purpose in life is to serve those customers. And and ultimately, by doing that well, then everybody wins. You know, we get more customers and the the share value increases or or whatever. So it's all goodness. But customer centricity is vital. And and within BT, in fact, um, we've uh, one of our... Um, kind of angles within IT at the moment is human-centred design which is all about trying to make sure everything we do we understand what the effect is on the person at the end of the process you know what what, how will the system affect this person how how will they use it but crucially how will they use it and how will the customer at the end then be treated better or worse as a result so so it's it's really really core to all of our thinking at the moment in making sure that everything we do has one eye on how does that affect the customer at the end and it's got to be positively. So. Why, why do you think there's so much focus on that now strategically because surely any, any service company should have, should have always been focusing on what the customer wants and needs so why do you think it's suddenly, yeah. suddenly but over the last few years certainly there seems to be a lot more messaging around this. There does and I think the word the, the key word you said there was should so not everybody did quite honestly a lot of the time people would have a good idea they'd say I can't think of what it might be, but you know, we'll, we'll, that, there's a service that their customer might need. So they'll then come up with a, a, a solution designed to provide that service, and then it will go into some kind of you know IT design workshop or whatever. And then the focus then will be on how do we create that capability, and you've you've then. you've distanced it from what did the customer actually want in the first place you've now got to we've gone through three or four steps and now we've decided on a capability we'll develop that and then we'll launch it and it might bear no resemblance at the end to to what the customer problem was that you were trying to solve Um, and that that was never done intentionally but I think that was just our, our methodology in the past so all this is doing really is saying, I mean, there's other methodologies which we've not covered here, agile and, and the like. Um, so, so we've got delivery methods that can change, but ultimately all we're saying here is do what you were doing, but, but make sure you've always got that spotlight on why you're doing it. So keep, keep a focus at every stage of the life cycle on the customer and make sure that what we're doing is, is going to improve their experience. So yeah, I, I think the only thing was not not intentionally, but it just wasn't being done to that degree before. And yeah, that's why there's such a focus. I guess a big part of that is continually speaking to your customers as well and getting feedback and learning what they For want. Sure. That's the only way you can do that. And okay. you know what helps with that? Yeah. Robotics and automation to give okay. you the time to do it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, should we move on to another, yeah, yeah, another let's, egg? Oh, let's, do have it. A, let's have a green one. The only green one. What treat have we got? Future of work. The future of work. Okay, so... From, I, th- I think we all understand that the way people work is changing. Mm-hmm. Where do you think we are on that journey? Do you think we're kind of in the m- at the crossroads at the moment where you've got a generation of people who are used to working in a certain way and then a generation of people who want to work differently? Um, or do you think I th- we're at a different path? I think, we're, hmm, a bit of both. We're at a crossroads, but it, we're, I think 
I think the scale of change in not just in IT, you know, in, in work in general, in, in um, the, the, the scale of change is such that we will always be at a crossroads. There's, ne there's never a time now where we can just stand back and go, well, that was fun, wasn't it? Now let's settle into the new norm. Um, so yes, we're at a crossroads, but it, it's going to continually keep changing. And I, I heard, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of quoting an exact number, but uh, <laughs> I, I heard recently something like, P children at primary school today when they are of working age something like 80% of the jobs that exist today won't exist for them so that does not mean that there's going to be 80% unemployment but the work that they do will be fundamentally different to the work that their parents and their grandparents did and I see no reason to think that their children won't be going through exactly the same thing the, the, the pace of change in technology which is driving everything else is just so great um, again you know so many activities that are done now will be automated through RPA or, or other um, other solutions but but a lot of what people do today will still get done but it won't get done by people it will just get done all behind the scenes and people are going to have to be doing different things um, and as soon as we think that that's done then what they're doing will will, will go away it'll be automated it will be redundant or be whatever you know we will, will constantly be evolving what work looks like um, for the foreseeable future I don't see an end to it What's your own experiences from mobile working, flexible working? Have, have you experienced that? To you know, what degree to have which have you, have you experienced that? And do you believe that's a system that ultimately is more productive for companies? Um, because it, it, there's still debate around that topic. Isn't there it? is, there is, and I can talk from my personal perspective and not on behalf of, of the company on this. Um, I, I think it, it's certainly a balance. I think flexible working in general is a very good thing. There's there's a limit, and it requires trust, and it requires trust on both sides. Um, but my, my experience is actually if you trust people, they don't let you down typically. So I, I think as, lo as long as you keep some sensible boundaries and you, you've got to have some control and also depending on the nature of the work, there are times when actually working together in an office collaboratively, you can all get around a whiteboard or you can all crowd around a screen or something, you know, that, that is priceless. So saying everyone work from home is not the answer. Saying we can work flexibly and you know we can choose where we work sometimes and that's absolutely is a is a huge bonus and, and as long as you get enough collaboration time to, to be effective um uh, yeah personally i think flexible working makes you more effective and, and i think typically if you trust people to work that way they they pay it back and from a technology perspective that that side of things is only going to um develop further so to, to enable a more mobile workforce absolutely like yeah i mean we, we already have um technologies that allow us to communicate far better now remotely um, we, I, I don't have a phone on my desk at all I use Skype through the computer um, and, and a headset uh, obviously there's, there's video conferencing that's kind of old news now it wasn't long ago when you know that that was that was really new but that, that's pretty old um, we we've have and, and use quite a lot in the company um, kind of uh, sort of pod video casting you know with a, with a surface um, a surface hub or something like that so we can actually get whole meeting rooms collaborating together and then potentially dial somebody in who's who's then on their own at home honestly it's still no substitute in those kind of meetings for having everyone in the same room mm -hmm. but it's helping and those kind of technologies certainly I can see continuing to adapt and you know who knows if we're all sitting next to holograms in in another 10 years time maybe it will be just the same as as in a re in the same meeting room but um, perhaps not yet yeah 
Okay, excellent. And I think, interestingly, when, when you spoke about automation, the um, you, you mentioned culture change, and I think when it comes to the future of work, that's also something that is important for companies to realise that, you know, to, to deliver the service and the way of working that employees want, they need to change culturally. For so sure. Changes, changes on both sides. Yeah. The, the, the organisation has to adapt culturally and, and the employees within it have to adapt. So, yeah, yeah culture change is, is really important. Okay, let's go for another egg. Okie dokes. Three to go. What do we have? We've unwrapped some... Blockchain. <laughs> okay, blockchain. One. Is the hype around blockchain justified or is it overhyped, do you say? Well, that's a very straightforward question <laughs> with a very, in my view, a very straightforward answer. At this point, overhyped. Um, I can see some genuine use cases for it, um, particularly around, for example, in, in potentially in supply chains um, where you can use blockchain to, to com have a, a complete um, kind of provenance history for not, not just whole items, but all of the components. So we talk about, you know, um, precious metals that have come from war-torn countries and whatnot. You know, you can potentially use blockchain to, to track all of those through and know that you're, you're dealing uh, compliantly with those, um, with those items. That said, though, my personal view is a lot of people look at blockchain and it's a solution waiting for a problem. It's like, oh, here's a great new technology. Now, how, how can we use it? And that's not the right way to uh, to adopt any technology i think you if you identify a problem and then you look around and you, you're hunting for solutions and blockchain happens to be part of that then great but but my view is it's a it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment lots of people are really interested in it and i think it will have some some good applications in the future um but i mean we, we haven't even settled on a standard for it yet you know so let, let's not back beat the max just yet when you know vhs is going to win and, and then dvd comes and takes it all or you know whatever so yeah, I, I think there's, there's, there are some good use cases, but I think there's more hype than than substance. It's interesting, isn't it? Because <laughs> um, it's it's a term you hear loads, and you hear, a, you know, it's it's, it's a definitely a buzzword. But obviously, the technology itself is is very complex. Do you think yeah. that there's a, a big gulf there between the understanding of what the technology is and how it can be applied to? Um, how much people are talking about it because there seems to be a bit of an imbalance yeah there. possibly I mean most people just blockchain is synonymous with cryptocurrency and that's it and there are obviously interchangeable some people think yeah exactly it's yeah. the same thing and, yeah. and of course it's not yeah. cryptocurrency is one application of blockchain um, so yeah I, d I don't know I, th I think I think there probably is a misunderstanding and maybe that's why the hype is building around it because people expect it to do more than it does um, as I say I, you know not to completely tread it into the ground it absolutely has some good applications and, and step one let's settle on a standard um i think that, personally at least I would, i'd like to think we're back we'll pick a horse and back it um so you're saying that you think there is there's a lot of potential certainly but it needs to be a more sort of iterative i, I think it, i think the, the technology needs to stabilize and yeah i think we just need to be more careful about or controlled i don't know with our expectations on what we think it can do for us um, is, it, is it a word that you hear much sort of around the industries that you, you sort of operate in and the um, offices that you you're For sure. In? I don't yeah. think there's ever, I don't think I've been to a technology conference where it hasn't come up at some <laughs> yeah. point, you know. So it's out there. But, to, you know, to your point, ask people to define it in detail and I'm not sure they could. I mean, I couldn't. Yeah. But, but I, I, you know, I, I think people think it's a bigger opportunity than it is. Yeah. But there are certainly opportunities. Like you hear people saying it's going to, potentially have as bigger impact if not a bigger impact than the internet for example yeah but, i mean that's just that's just talk isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that's people who have got some you know interest. financial interest <laughs> yeah. in in it yeah I, I i don't see that at all okay 
Still interesting nonetheless though, so two more Absolutely. to go. Yep. Let's uh, go for the yellow one. Okay. Chatbot. Chatbot. Okay, so do you enjoy using chatbots? Are you a person who, when, when you have a chatbot experience as a consumer, as a customer, do you, do you find that experience satisfying? It depends, is yeah. the pat answer, isn't it? So if, it's a, if, it, if I can get a quick answer for a quick question, then I have no issue with chatbots. Um, I think they're an evolving technology. They're going to become more and more useful, and I would not want to sit here and you know start to stifle their growth because I think they're going to be really important. So as a user of chatbots in the right circumstances, I think they're very good and, and they can be very helpful. When I when I know they're not going to give me the answer that I want though, and you ju you just know that it's a more complicated query and you need to get through to somebody and standing in your way is a, is a chatbot then they can get frustrating. Do you think on the whole the customer experience at the moment is more of a like that frustrating end of the scale rather than the, oh that, that worked really well that's something um, I would use again or do you think it's a bit of a mix? I, well it's a mix and I, my personal view is I don't think it's necessarily coming down on the, on the frustrating side because generally speaking I would say there's always an alternate channel anyway. I'm, you can probably correct me on this, but I'm, I'm struggling to think of anywhere where your only option is a chatbot. So actually, if you really don't want to use it, or if you've started using it and it's not giving you what you wanted, then there's usually an email or a phone or you know a direct IM to a person rather than to a you know a, a robot. Um, so no, I, I don't sense that it's hugely frustrating at the moment. The concern, I guess, is until until. The technology is up to it, and again, it's a, it's, a, it's a public cultural change as well. Until we are ready to adopt it to that degree, there is a danger that at the moment we have dual channel or you know multiple channels, because chatbots by their nature create efficiency within companies. You know, they're, they're potentially going to start to make it more difficult to contact them any other way. They might offer the alternate channels, but you know you have to go hunting for it, and chatbots the way to go. And Right now, the, the the chatbot experiences that I see probably aren't good enough in all cases to do that. But in the future, in the fairly near future, you know, when we start to make them, we can overlap back onto robotics again, in fact. So, you know, while the chatbot's just answering questions, it gets to the point when you're saying, oh, yeah, I know all that, I, I just want some action. You know, I want, we're not, not far away from just putting RPA underneath the chatbot saying you have the conversation and then you get to the point where you want it to do something for you and it'll go away and it'll trigger a robot and it'll do it as long as we can rely on that and it's repeatable and reliable then that's probably a better experience for a customer how far so, away do you think we are from that reliability um it depends on, on the use case question as well, isn't it? it is but it, but it also depends on the on the case you know who who are we putting the chatbot in front of what do we want it to do you know if it's if it's an employee because we you know we, these are pervasive everywhere right so we can have chatbots for um, employees say within a company like PT which is fairly tech savvy anyway and you know we're, we're, we're talking now in fact about possibly having for example chatbots that that can allow people to interrogate the the annual leave system and then book leave for them you know so where normally it would be logging onto a system and you know there's, there's never a person to talk to it's always a system solution so lots and lots of clicks on a, on a system looking at diaries and what have you and, and then booking your leave or do you just have a conversation with a chatbot ask it if, if you're able you know there, it might have some logic built in that says only x people in your team can take leave at a given time so it could even look at that say yes we see no reason why you can't book it please okay then it will create a you know a message to your manager who who might then have a, a link to click to open up their chatbot 
session to then approve the leave or reject it or whatever. I mean, those kind of cases, I, I think we could do now. Um, we, as I say, we, we're looking at it already. Um, but that's relatively simple. Having a chatbot as a front end to, you know, to for customers to talk to BT, for example, put it on the BT homepage and say, any customer with any problem, click here and we'll sort it out. I, th I think you need a huge amount of artificial intelligence to be able to understand any given question and route it appropriately. And, and that's the problem. I think we're quite away from that. But in specific use cases, um, yeah, we, we can do it today and, and in fact should be. So a, a company like BT, obviously, as you've, as you've illustrated there, you've got um, opportunities to use this type of technology internally and also mm -hmm. you know, in terms of customer facing. So going forward, do you think it's a big part of the thinking that BT, I don't, I don't know if you're the right person to speak to about this, but... In terms of BT strategy, I, I can't say, no. but I suspect so. Yeah. But in, again, personal view, yes. Yeah. I think every big corporation is going to be pushing chatbots. Another interesting question comes up, which I don't have an answer for, um, but I can, <laughs> I can throw it out anyway, yeah. is how... Um, as, as chatbots become more and more sophisticated and the natural language processing that sits behind them becomes more sophisticated, does there come a point where we stop telling people it's a chatbot and they think they're talking to a person? Uh, as I say, it's a question I'm not going to answer because I don't know the answer, but it, those are the kind of things we need to... It's not going to be long before we're wrestling with that. Right now, you know, you, typically, you know you're talking to a robot. Even but, though they humanise them by giving yeah, them they, names. Yeah, they like, might yeah. give them a name or <laughs> yeah. what have you, but you can tell by the kind of the, the robotic, if you like, responses. Insta, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but there will... I, I don't think it's far away before they've, they've, we've got sufficient artificial intelligence sitting under the surface to, to potentially make a decision. Do we tell people this is a chatbot or do we pretend it's a person on the other end? And will they give a different experience? Are they more polite to a person than a robot i don't know yeah. well this is <laughs> all kinds of possible implications yeah. obviously so you know that's that's for another day so yeah. i think we'll um we'll move on on to our last egg. last egg yeah. the final cracking has occurred digital disruption <laughs> well I, I i like this one because i think it just uh, digital disruption means different things to different people what, what does it mean to you and is it a term that you like is it a term or do you, do you sometimes think oh digital disruption that's a bit of a buzzword yeah well to be honest it's a little bit of a buzzword it, and it's kind of all encompassing as well again sitting in technology as I do it, it can't, it's everything we do you know digital disruption is just is it a about, term that you use like internally do you is it um, disruption because disruption honestly is a word, no is quite a, we tend to use digital transformation yeah. Which is a bit of a softer kind it, of... Yeah, yeah, it feels more progressive. Yeah. It feel, I mean, I get why people use disruption, and I think it's very contextual again. Yeah. So if you need... Transformation is transformation. It's never easy. It requires, you know, a lot of change management and all of the stuff that we know. But there are, you know, there's still a continuum of what's a small change and what's a big change. Um, so if you need to... If you, if you know that you have to make a massive change, if your industry is being torn apart by something and you know it's, it's you know, adapt or die, <laughs> then... Probably digital disruption is a good term to use to to really explain the magnitude of the challenges that are being faced. Um, Do you reckon it's sometimes misused in other sort of circumstances where people are talking about doing digital things and yeah, I, again, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So is it yeah? By its nature, it has to be disruptive. To be disruptive, it has to be big, you know, scary, innovative, transformational. You know, in my mind, at least, there's a whole lot of boxes it has to tick to be called disruptive, and often. Um, we have a, a, a digital transformation. We're using technology to transform, and 
somebody will decide that that needs to be called digital disruption when it's, it's, it's disruptive to people as all change is but for me disruption is about you know brand new cutting edge technologies disruptive tech and change is disruptive that you know that's not enough to qualify for that term yeah so what, what do you think the cycle is for digital disruption? Do you think technology will develop at such a rate that we'll continually see new technologies emerge that will disrupt the technology that was previously disrupted? Yeah, like well, for sure. As I said before, I think the pace of technological change at the moment is is huge and increasing, You know, showing no signs of slowing down. So I could contradict myself and argue we're going to be in a constant state of disruption, but then, but then if disruption is the norm, is it called disruption no, anymore? Yeah, well, so they're, you know, they're yeah. get, getting on to slightly um, philosophical questions. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, as I say, change is going to be so um, so fast moving and so prevalent for the foreseeable future that to call it disruptive has to be that much more. But yeah, I, I don't, I haven't defined it in a dictionary, so I, I get why people use it. How, how do you think? Um, people strategize and manage to stay on top of the, this this rapid change that's happening, the disruption, if you want to call it that. It must be such a, a challenge to exist in the middle of it and try and um, keep pace with everything that's happening. Is that something you experience? Um, yeah, and and that's kind of a, a, a cultural thing as well. So I think, uh, without wanting to sound ageist, you know, younger people are more adaptable. I would suggest. Yeah. Um, and more able to cope with that kind of change because they've been living through it. Yeah. You know, older people have been used to more stability in the past and now we're all living in the same world where the pace of change is what it is and people who have grown up with that are, are much more familiar with it and comfortable with it. Um, it, it, it can be scary. Well, Lee, Can't thank you very much. I mean, <laughs> no, that's great. We've covered all the topics and actually some really interesting thoughts from yourself there. So I hope you, hope you found uh, an interesting thing to do as well. Yes, so th yes, th thank you. Very good. Thank you very much. Cheers. Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief, the latest news, insights and opinion delivered straight to your inbox. Subscribe now at digitalbullet.in.